we just got to keep improving. We got to keep getting bigger and stronger. You know, we've, we've gotten a lot more powerful. Now we've got from March 6th, March 15th, okay, till really August 1st. So it gets us a long time. And that lifting cycle and the competition we're going to have in the weight room and the power and strength that we get is going to be a big difference because we're not 18, we're not teenagers anymore. We got a few 20 year olds playing. So that's exciting to me. Welcome to Buffed Stampede Radio. Your hosts Adam Munster, Tiger, Ryan Konigsberg, and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Gentlemen, step up to the mic and drop some CU knowledge. That's a wrap. CU spring practices for football ended on March 15th. The CU men's basketball season ended in the second round of the CBI on March 23rd. My name is Adam Munster, Tiger, here with me to break down spring ball and the men's basketball season. Tyler Ziskin, fan correspondent, and Ryan Konigsberg, senior writer. Guys, how's it going? Good, man. Lose my voice a little bit here. I feel like, I'm like I've am i got that Tom Izzo in March voice going. <laughs> so uh, hopefully I, I can hang in there all the way through. Yeah, doing pretty good. I mean, just March Madness is always a good time of the year, right? And then, you know, football <laughs> coming to a close and we got the summer, so now we just have to kind of deal with the anxiety until we get back into the fall and get back into the real good time of the year football is always fun well let's talk about CU football first here finally some optimism around this program it seems like the most optimism that we've seen around this program since the 2008 offseason now obviously things didn't work out well from that point going forward is the optimism around the program warranted now is it even more warranted maybe than it was back then I mean yeah it's it's warranted only because where we've been in the past few years it's one of those things where, you know, like the 500 basketball season, the world is ending, right? But a 500 football season, everybody would be absolutely stoked just because of how much of a struggle it's been over the past decade. And you could definitely see the team getting better. I'm not going to sit here and say I expect them to make a bowl game this year. I'm not ready to make that claim. But I think unquestionably the team is better. Um, will that translate to wins? Hopefully, you know, last year we saw the team was probably more talented and didn't translate to wins. I think this year that needs to change a little bit. Um, because, you know, even, even if you are getting better, if you go, you know, if you don't win a game in your conference, eventually the psyche starts to get affected a little bit and, you know, you're going to lose confidence in your own self if you don't find a way to win games, even if you are getting better. So I think that's the next step for the program for me. I think optimism is warranted, um, to a degree. I think, uh, obviously, as it always happens, some fans are uh, a little too deep into their Kool-Aid bowl, but... Uh, you know, there's a lot of things to be looking forward to and a lot of things that point to optimism. You know, you got Jim Levitt and, and it seems like uh, his personality is really, you know, um, building within the team. And um, you've got, you know, a junior quarterback who's started uh, most of two seasons now or one and a half at least. And there's a, there's a lot to look forward to there. I just, I, I don't want people to fall into the trap of, um, development because I feel like people fall into that trap of you know this guy's gonna get better here just because it's another year and it happens in every sport and you know up until this year I've been, I feel like I've fallen for it a lot of times 
So I don't want you know people to fall too hard for the oh well uh, it's another year Stefo is just going to stop turning over the ball. That that's, that while that may happen, uh, it's a trap. I feel like for fans to yeah. think that. Well, at least there is an opportunity for development because they've seemingly fixed the attrition issues, mm-hmm. and now you you look at it, they're going to have 26 scholarship juniors that if they stay in the program will be seniors the next year, and so I think that's a big reason why there's that. Uh, you know, optimism, and then obviously looking back to last season and going, okay, uh, they were so close in so many of those games, and if if certain aspects are improved, then those are wins, and so it certainly makes sense why there is, uh, you know, that optimism out there. I threw this out on the message board on BuffStampede.com asking about real ex- realistic expectations for defensive improvement in 2015, and this Following last season, they ranked tied for 116th out of 125 FBS programs in scoring defense. And most people had a pretty realistic view of it. I saw a lot of people saying, if we can just get down into the 80s in scoring defense, if we can rank somewhere around 8th in the conference, that, that would be a huge improvement. Is there a certain number you guys would look at in terms of scoring defense that would signify real improvement on defense? Uh, it's hard to just look at a number and say that the number that you need to look at is wins and losses. Uh, when it comes down to it, but I think you know people going all the way down in the seventies and eighties. I, I mean, it's hard for it would be hard for people to be disappointed if they moved up twenty spots. You know, ninety six, just get into double digits. You can't really complain about a defense moving up twenty spots in the country. So yeah, getting down to the eighties, the seventies, that would be great for them. But uh, realistically, you'd have to be happy if they got down, you know, into the ninety five, ninety six range. Yeah, to me, I, we've talked about this a lot in previous shows. To me. The, no, the number that needs to improve is the turnovers. They're 122nd in the country last year. They only had 11, less than one a game. I was looking at the stats. If they could get up to 19 or 20, that puts you right around 70th in the country. And that's still just a one-and-a-half turnover <coughs> game. Like, there's nothing crazy about that to me. And if you get a team to turn the ball over one more time a game, you're going to give up a lot less points. It's really quite as simple as that. I mean, if you don't get the ball turned over on defense, you're going to give up a lot of points. And if you're capable of improving that to some degree, not only are you going to put the offense in a better position to score, but you're also going to give up less points because the offense is going to be on the field and they're not just driving down with you continuously. So to me, really, it's as simple as if, if they can turn the ball over more next year, the, the rest of the numbers will take care of themselves. Even if even if they they increase the turnover number, but they're still in the hundreds in terms of scoring defense? I don't think they will be. That's what I'm saying. I think Correlation. If you, yeah, yeah. I think, okay. I'm, I'm just trying to say that if they improve that number, I would expect that their scoring defense numbers would improve dramatically simply because they're turning the ball over instead of giving up sure. touchdowns. I, I feel like just turning the ball over is is a hard stat you know, to predict because a lot sure. of it just seems to be luck. I mean, where wherever the ball bounces when, you know, the, the running back fumbles it or whatever. I mean, obviously getting interceptions is a lot more skill-based and, I guess, causing fumbles. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I feel like a lot of that, you know, that stat boils down to being luck. So it's, it's hard I'd to predict. I'd say 50-50. I yeah. think there's, there's, there's definitely a preparation element mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, yeah I would, but I mean, and they it's not like all of a sudden this is a new emphasis for Mike McIntyre. He's been emphasizing this, so it's not like all of a sudden they're going to practice it more and it's going to turn out to be more. I just feel like that's one of those things where you can't necessarily predict it. Well, there's at all. definitely an element of luck to it for sure, but to me, it's also a part of do you know where you're supposed to be on the field? Are you athletic enough to get there? And do you have enough playmakers on the defensive end of the ball to make plays? Like, that's all, those are all important factors, too. I mean, if you're getting to the quarterback, you're going to create turnovers. 
if you know if you're if you're baiting quarterbacks into throws and you actually are quick enough to stay with the receiver, you're going to create turnover. So those are parts of it too. And I think we are definitely getting more athletic on that side of the ball, which should help. And if luck evens out, they'll be much better in that sense because they were on the unlucky side last season. You know, yeah. Kenneth Crawley in the Oregon State game gets that pick called back. Uh, John Walker gets an interception called back uh, with a holding on the other side of the field on Greg Henderson. I, I feel like I'm missing a few other moments, but there were definitely some moments in there where they were close to getting a turnover. They lose their player who was creating the most turnovers in Tedrick Thompson. Yeah, for UCLA, yeah. Were there uh, some encouraging storylines you guys felt come, came out of spring ball? For me, it was the fact that the newcomers, Jordan Carroll, Leo Jackson on the defensive line, Afalabi Laguda in the secondary, really looked the part. And from it seemingly day one, they're among the better players in their position group. It's like a lot of times you try to project watching Juco film, but until they actually get on campus, it's hard to do that. And then Samson Kafavalu doesn't, he gets through at least 15 spring practices mm -hmm. without getting in trouble. Uh, for me, it was more the defensive personnel. Really, it seems like they have a lot more quality depth with those guys looking the part this spring. Anything else stand out to you guys? Yeah, to me, I was going to go along the same lines. I mean, obviously, we haven't got to see a whole lot of them in action, right, because they have most of their practice closed. To me, the one time that I was able to show up, Afalabi with Gouda, to me, definitely, he looked ready to play. I mean, he's a big boy. We have a lot of big boys in the secondary, and he definitely, to me, looked like somebody who's going to play a lot of minutes for us, whether it be special teams or he's going to, it looked like they had him moving all over the field. So he was really impressive to me. The defensive line for the first time in a long time has quality depth. And should the storyline of Cepho protecting the ball actually come to fruition, that would be a big one for yeah. me as well because... We'll talk a little bit about yeah. about that uh, later here in the show for sure. Ryan, any... Yeah, I was going to say the, the beginnings of at least the rumblings of Cepho improving, that's you know something that helps the fans get excited. And to me, just the excitement with the players that's surrounding uh, Jim Levitt. You know, just... I feel like there's not maybe not another defensive coordinator that was available that they could have brought in that you would have heard just so many good things about from all the players, all the coaches. It seems like just everyone is really excited to be playing for him, and I think you know that that could be a huge storyline as the things go on. Jim Levitt's 58 years old. I'm 35, and I have maybe an eighth of the energy <laughs> that that guy has. It's it's pretty pretty remarkable. Um, now let's go to the flip side. What were the most discouraging storylines that come out of spring ball, in your opinion? I'll start here. It's Addison Gillum not participating in the scrimmages, and McIntyre says, hey, it's just precautionary. We just don't want to have a repeat of last season. But it's like, you know, there's something wrong there, and if he's healthy, this defense has a chance to be pretty darn good. If he's not, their ceiling's a lot lower. It really is. When he's healthy, like the first half of the Utah game, for instance, it's just their defense just operates at such a higher level, and you you got to start to wonder at this point, is Addison Gillum ever going to be the Addison Gillum he was as a true freshman again? Yeah, that that's a, obviously a huge one. The other one to me would be uh, Josh Tupo getting in trouble. Um, you know, obviously with Addison Gillum kind of being in and out, uh, you, you need like a solid leader on that defense, and um, in terms of skill level, I think Josh Tupo could have been a guy who, who is a big leader. He's kind of, you know, he's very vocal and um, a bit emotional out on the field. I think that would have been good, and uh, obviously you just don't want to see guys getting in trouble. I guess we'll see where um, that leads and what, what the punishment is there, but, um, you know, it, it's a bummer that they had to deal with that with a defensive starter. That's going to be important to the team. Yeah, I'm going to be the third one to mention Addison as well. I agree with you. There's something going on there that we 
just aren't really fully aware of yet, and that's never a good thing. I mean, he's been out for a long time now. <coughs> he hasn't been able to gain any weight by the looks of it either. Um, so I don't know. I, we I, we need him to come back healthy because obviously when he's healthy, he's a great player. Um, and the other one to me is the running backs, uh, just because there wasn't very many on the field in the spring. Okay. I, I would have liked to have seen people kind of carve out their roles a little bit more. So we knew where we were going with that moving forward. We're still, we're going to talk about this later too, the running back by committee thing. It just would have nice to have seen these guys in front of now what is a pretty veteran offensive line, or yeah. at least one that we find to be pretty trustworthy and see what, you know, see how that pans out. And we didn't really get that opportunity in the spring. Especially with Michael Atkins, because he's a guy that it, as an underclassman showed flashes of having feature back potential, but it's like, Every time he gets close to being that, it's either a confidence issue or an injury issue, and he missed all of spring practices. So uh, it's it's kind of discouraging the fact that uh, you know I you, I don't want to say you start to wonder quite yet because he's still got two full years left if he's going to reach his potential. But you're nearing that. You're getting pretty close to being okay. Is he going to be a guy that leaves this program and we say we well, we should see you should have gotten more out of him? Do you guys buy or sell that Sefo Lufau is well on his way to fixing his turnover woes? Obviously, he had. 18 turnovers last season between lost fumbles and interceptions. I really want to buy it, but, but you're not. I, but I think <laughs> I think I'm waiting for the the spring sale, or you know whatever it is that the annual sale. You could just get it a little bit cheaper. To me, it's I want we we need it to happen. I want it to happen. But until he's out there on Saturday throwing passes and there's more than four of them, that's not the spring game. I'm not going to buy it yet because. I'm not ready to do that to myself. Um, I, I think that as he gets older, he's going to make smarter decisions. That's fine. But once you get on the field and, you know, someone's chasing you around, if he reverts back to his old ways, it's nothing is going to change, right? So while I have confidence that it can happen, I'm not all in on it yet by any means. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. You know, you want to buy it and you think, oh, well, you know, he's an upperclassman now and this has, like, been his main focus of the offseason is to get rid of that but it's just like you can't learn anything from practice was what it boils down to you know it comes down to when you're on the field um you know it's across sports here it's like Dustin Thomas can knock down threes all day in practice all of a sudden he gets down there on the field and or on the court and he's airballing and missing off the backboard by three feet it's just one of those things that you have to see on the field before you you can buy that if we're talking you know stocks or anything like that you wouldn't want that you wouldn't want to buy this right now it's too much risk well Sefo Lufau is never going to be a guy we've seen enough of him that's not going to turn the football over that's just mm -hmm. bottom line I mean, quarterbacks in general are pretty much that way in college football but I would ask you guys it, it, so he had 18 turnovers last year if he was able to reduce that to 13 which would be one a game you, you would take that right yeah 100% I think he, I, I'm going to buy it in the sense that I think he can he can do that I think he will be a guy that will have that one brain fart, for lack of a better term, every game. Um, but I think I think he can get it to that point. Um, and so I, I will be the one guy to buy it uh, in that level. Now, if he does that, Reuse has hit that turnover number by five. And let's say you go from three interceptions as a defense to eight. That's ten turnovers mm. right there in, in a positive direction as compared to last year. Yeah. And I think, that, I think they could potentially do that. We'll see. Another running back by committee that it looks like, unless Patrick Carr comes in and is uh, an all-conference guy from day one, they're going to most likely have multiple guy, multiple running backs uh, taking uh, quite a few reps. And, and 
that's what they did last year. It wasn't necessarily a horrible thing, but uh, do you guys view this running back by committee most likely that will happen again as a as a good or a bad thing? I just don't like it. I, I don't like anything by committee. If you have anything by committee, it just means that you don't have a guy that's good enough. You don't, I mean, they have a lot of talent there, and it's just one. someone needs to get their head above the rest. You know, whatever it takes, someone's got to do it and take that job because we saw um, a couple times last year it did come back to bite them. Um, number one comes into my mind is Mike Ladkins against ASU. You know, he comes in cold and fumbles the ball. And it's just one of those things that I, it's, it just doesn't, it's not a good look. I just think, you know, when you have that one back that, you know, that you can just count on and you can put him in there um, no matter the situation and feel confident that he's going to do it for you, that's a positive for your team. So, I, you know, I don't like when baseball teams have closer by committee, quarterback by committee, whatever it is by committee, that's never been a good thing. Yeah, I agree 100%. I would just to add another saying there. People always say if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero. And that's really 100% true, and running backs are no different. And you hear lingering throughout in the postgame be like, oh, we were trying to find a hot hand. And it was so frustrating because every single time somebody <clears throat> had two or three good runs in a row, he got set. It's like, so how are you trying to find the hot hand? You see, you, you have a guy who's, I can remember a couple of times Philip Lindsay or Michael Atkins would have two or three good runs in a row. We're going 20 yards down the field. They get subbed out, we pass three times, and we punt. And it's just like, no, man. Like, <laughs> if if someone's getting seven yards of carry, give him the rock. If he gets tired, that's fine. But it shouldn't happen after two plays, especially since none of these guys are playing significant snaps because they're rotating in and out. And to me, like, yeah, they're all good at specific things, but you want to be able to go in the fourth quarter, you want to be able to say, this is the guy that I'm going to go to, to run out the clock or give us the yards that we need on every single play. And I think we have guys that are good enough that you should be able to pound the rock to them and see what happens. I mean, yeah. obviously, I don't have a problem with all three of them playing in specific situations, but there should be one lead guy. Yeah. You should have a bell cow, and then the others you fill in based on maybe situational, you know, based on who you're playing on offense or what down it is. They need to come in for a breather. Yeah, 98% of the time when you see a college football program that has a running back by committee, it's because they don't have an all-conference guy at that position. And right. so, yes, I agree with you. I, I look at that as a bad thing. And if you're going to have guys in specific roles, I want them to know their role. You know, what? last year in third and one, fourth and one, they kept switching it up, and I, I know it wasn't working, but I want, you know, Christian Powell, if that's going to be him, I want him to be sitting over there, and as soon as he sees, you know, uh, third and one, he's like, all right, my number's getting called. I'm going in there, and I'm going to get one yard. When there's all, all, I just feel like when there's all this switching around, you know, no one knows exactly what their role is, and uh, it just it, it doesn't help them get into a rhythm. On the offensive line, Jared Coe uh, emerges as, as the front runner to replace Ke'Evi Crabbit, left guard. That was expected. He had seen action last year uh, due to injury. At right guard, you've got a battle going on between sophomore Jonathan Huckins and junior Shane Callahan, and they're tied atop the depth chart here at the end of spring ball. I want to ask you guys if if this competition goes through. Uh, you know, three weeks into camp and they still haven't had one of those guys really emerge head and shoulders above the, the other, should Ty go to the U? Should Jonathan Huckins be awarded that job knowing that he's got an extra year of eligibility? Yeah, I mean, I think that's how you should always approach it. You should The Ty should always go to the youth because you want to get them <clears throat> quality minutes. And if they're similar players, you have more years out of them. So I totally get that. To me, though, what it's hard to imagine them really being tied. You know, like you've got to be able to make a decision on who's better for – for the offensive line. I mean, to me, you look at Stefan Nembot and you look at Alex Kelly and you look at their strengths and you look at their weaknesses and you plug in the guy 
that helps both of those guys the most, whoever that is, whether it's Huckins or whether it's Callahan. If he helps Nembot because he's deficient somewhere or if he helps Kelly because he's deficient somewhere or if Huckins does, that's the guy you go with. I just... I don't like the word tie. There's just, it's not possible for there to be a tie. It's possible. No, there's no such thing as a tie. I, <laughs> one of them is going to be better, and you have to put that player on the field. If Shane Callahan is one play better, if he's going to make one more play in the entire game, he has to be the one out there. It's there's no. Like, that's not the question, though, right? Well, that's it's, <laughs> there's no such thing as a tie. If you if maybe if you and I look at it, there's a tie. If you're an offensive line coach, there just can't be a tie. There has to be one little thing that separates. Them. Have you ever played basketball with somebody and, and you play ten games and you each win five seemingly every time? It's possible. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's that's a sample size thing, right? Ten games, but they're watching these dudes do thousands of reps in the spring. You have to be able to you have to be able to separate one from the other and say this is what's best for us right now. Um, and it and if it's it could be close. I mean, it could be really close. <clears throat> what if it is? What if it is theoretically, Ryan? What if it is tied? Could you go into the season opener and play them both, no. and then whoever grades out better? You so you want to have a definitive yes. guy? Okay. I mean, I, let's say I think the you, only the only way that happens is if you start Hawkins. Let's say he's getting drummed. Sure. Then you make the change, but I think you have to say this is the guy that we're going to go with and move on. Yeah, you you need to make a decision. I think well before that first game, at least a week. On defense, uh, some moving pieces there. You've got defensive ends now that are playing an outside linebacker role. You've got uh, some former outside linebackers like a Deshaun Rippey now playing inside linebacker. With these moving pieces defensively, which guys are in line to benefit the most? Um, I think the undersized defensive ends are in the you know, most position to benefit. I think uh, a guy like Jimmy Gilbert is in a really good position. You know, He's so athletic, and um, where he was playing, he just – his size was, you know, hurting him. Now I think he gets a little bit more out in space and is able to use that athleticism, knock down passes and that sort of thing by getting a little out, more out wide and, you know, knowing what he's got to do. Yeah, anytime you can give an athlete more space, that's great. I mean, I'm sure Jimmy Gilbert loves the change because he is a great athlete, but he gets bottled up by bigger guys on the end because he's not heavy enough. And so now that you get him out in space and he's going to get a couple steps on these guys to make a move, I think that'll really help him. Um, I have Deshaun Rippey on there too, and it's really simply because he seems to have his confidence back that yeah. he can actually play now. Whether or not that that happens, we'll see. But I mean, you can tell for the first time since he's been here, he feels like he belongs. Did Did either of you notice him much in the spring game? Did you see him make a couple plays out there? Yeah, I mean, I didn't. It was such a short spring game too. I didn't put a lot of stock in anything that happened yeah, in that game. That's true. Oh, yeah. But I will say, in the one practice that I went to, he did more than he has in any practice I've ever seen. He's not he, that it matters. It's just one. But physically, he maybe is the best looking linebacker they have on the roster, and so he's plenty big enough to play inside. Yeah. I I had Jimmy Gilbert, Deshaun Rippey as the two guys. I think those are. I think Jimmy Gilbert clearly is the answer to this question. Um, and then uh, yeah, I think Deshaun Rippey. <coughs> If you want to, if we're going to rank the positions in terms of strengths, a position that's a strength for this team, and maybe some positions that are weaknesses, as it appears right now, how, how would you rank that out? Well, really, I feel pretty good about most of the offense. Um, to me, the biggest concern right now is safety and outside linebacker, or just linebacker in general, really, because who knows with Addison? I mean, Kenneth Ogbudi was pretty good the second half of the year, but I'd like to see a little more consistency out of him. We just don't have the depth. Right, so if we lose a guy at safety and linebacker, those are they have depth at safety now. <clears throat> Depends on where guys play, I guess. Right, I mean, if you have Cheeto play there, 
or if you have Afalabi. I just, I don't know. I just, yeah, it's, seeing how it ended up last year where we're playing lock-ons, it's just still, it scares me a little bit. Okay. Um, but, I mean, overall, the whole offense, like running back is my was my biggest, and tight end, obviously. Our, we're my biggest on offense because we don't have the one guy that I think you can go to right now. But, yeah, the other ones, I feel like the depth is improving for sure, but we would be in the most trouble if we lost a linebacker or safety, in my eyes. I feel like for the first time in God knows when, there's more strengths than weaknesses on the yeah. team. Mm-hmm. And that just, first of all, is the biggest thing. I think the biggest strength to me is wide receiver. I, I love that group. I think they're really, really good. And, you know, Cepho is good enough to get them the ball and let them do their thing. So uh, that's the number one strength. And then... Yeah, weakness on offense, you you got to go with tight end. Um, you know, obviously, there's the whole idea of going away from the tight end with the whole uh, Gucci position. Um, and then, you know, on defense, yeah, I think uh, middle linebacker is your biggest concern. I went wide receiver number one. I actually kind of disagree with you, Tyler. I think the defensive backs are a strength on this football team. Uh, when you have an awful lobby Laguda adding depth, you get Jared Bell potentially back at full strength. It sounds like he's going to be full go this summer. Uh, Cheeto Bay Awuze is a guy that can play any spot. John Walker's a serviceable nickelback. We saw Ryan Moeller, what he can do, and he's uh, he's d- down on the depth chart now. Uh, you've got a guy like Evan White that, that's got a lot of potential. Tedrick Thompson, obviously. Uh, Kenneth Crawley and Akella Witherspoon both coming off really good spring. So I think that's a p- position of strength for them. And then I go into the next group, and I think offensive line and running back are pretty solid. Um, definitely room for improvement in both those spots. Defensive line, quarterback, and linebacker are all are all potential, potentially good positions, but they all have question marks to me. And then tight end in, in place kicking as weaknesses on this football team. I didn't even think of place kicking. <laughs> That's number yeah. nine on my list. Yeah, I had, so just to clarify, I had quarterbacks one and safeties last. So okay. just to, I guess to me, I have Cheeto slotted. Yeah, do you not have any so. faith that Tedrick Thompson can stay healthy? No, I just think there's a lot of question marks. He has to stay healthy. Evan White has to get better. Jared, Jared Bell, Bell has, has, to, come to, has to come back. Or, or, or maybe not. Maybe Tedrick Thompson's healthy and you put Cheeto back at Cheeto yeah, losing safety it, and you're it'll, fine. Yeah, it'll just depend on where people rotate through. Okay. I, think. I, think, I think it could end up being a really solid group. But with some injury concerns, I think people are going to have to be slotted in specific positions. And it could get ugly again like it did last year. But I hope that obviously doesn't happen. I'm just more concerned about safety than most of the other positions. Before we move before we move on to, to basketball, real quick here, obviously scheduling, uh, big news coming out there. Uh, the Buffalo scheduled Texas A&M in 2020 and 2021, and then uh, they scheduled TCU. They'll play them, the Horned Frogs, for the first time in program history in 2022 and 2023. And uh, the writing's on the wall now about this Rocky Mountain showdown. It's going to lead to maybe some awkward Rocky Mountain showdowns here in the next few years, but at least... At least we kind of know now that uh, with a little bit more certainty that that, that uh, rivalry is going to come to an end. Yeah, I think like Buffs fans have to be scared of losing that last one. Like, that, <laughs> right? That's got to be such a big fear because... 2019, right, is the last, or is it 2020? 2020 in yeah. Fort Collins. You know, you go in there and you blow them out and it's like, all right, this is the end of the rivalry. You lose that game and that that's tough. That's <laughs> years and years of... Uh, Listening to your CSU friends talk about how they won the last one. They're going to be so motivated for that football game. <laughs> yeah. no. Colorado State down. is going to be really oh, motivated yeah. for that my, game. My biggest fear is that I'm going to be 30 years old by the time they play TCU. I, I don't want to. I'm actually <laughs> 30 years old. Yeah, I just, think, I just think it's hilarious the whole, oh, they're not going to get anybody to come play in Boulder. And one month later, we get Texas A&M and well, TCU. And even when that started coming up, 
we already knew that that was coming. Yeah, so it's just hilarious to me, that whole thing. But honestly, I do hope they play every once in a while. So we'll see how it pans out. But I think it is good for them to play not every year necessarily, or especially not the first game of the year. But I think it would be good if they played on occasion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good point. I think that maybe it will re- regenerate some make more excitement for the rivalry if there's a little bit of a break, you know. Mm-hmm. And you can, oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think people are pretty excited to get Nebraska back on the schedule in a couple of years. So, and even if there is a break, it just raises the stakes on that game mm-hmm. so much. Oh yeah. Well, guys, Buff Stampede Radio now has a sponsor, Velocity Real Estate and Investment. So before we move on to basketball, I'm going to tell you real quick about. This great company. You've seen the ads on buffstampede.com. CU alum Chris Schuler and Velocity Real Estate and Investments have a mission to provide an exceptional experience in buying and selling. Uh, you know, it's one of those situations where if you're going to go into uh, buying or selling a home, you want a, a guy that you can really trust, and, and Chris Schuler is a guy you can do that with. Um, he really accomplishes uh, your, your needs and your wants by providing incomparable information and completing the necessary due diligence in achieving their clients goals while exceeding their expectations go to velocityrei.com and check out velocity real estate men's basketball guys uh, i know tyler you didn't really even want to talk about this uh, but i feel like we need to at least wrap up this season first off the participation in the cbi tournament at the end of the day anything positively or negatively really a result of their participation in this tournament I think the two canceled each other out. I think the first game there was positives, and I liked the way Dom Collier played. I liked the way the team played freely, and the second game is just a disaster. And so, you know, maybe the negative ends up outweighing the positive, but any positive that there were were certainly canceled out. It just seemed there was this whole worry, and we were so assured that the team wanted to be there, and they were, they were playing to win, and... The first half of that Seattle game, you know, they were still in, and it just seemed in the second half, as soon as they faced adversity, it was like, oh, well, the season could just end today, and we'll go on spring break. It's just what it felt like to me. I felt like as soon as they faced adversity, it was like, well, we're not really, we're not going to come back and win this game. That's, that just seems like a lot to work. Um, <laughs> that was more positive than it deserved. I just, the thing is to me, here, your two situations could be you – actually finished the season pretty well, right? Like, you lost to Washington State in overtime in a pretty good game. You lost in a good game to Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament. That was a fun game to watch. The team actually looked better. You end the season there. It was a struggle. It sucked. But at least there was some things to look forward to. Josh finally looked healthy. And now we go into the CBI. We There's a 1,000 people in cores. So no one cared, obviously, about the CBI, which was unfortunate to see. And then you go play... 280th RPI ranked Seattle on the road, and you lose. That's a game, like, that's about as embarrassing a loss as you could have. And I'm really glad that I already kind of wrote it off so that I wouldn't freak out when they lost. So that was really smart and great of me because I would have been a complete mess for the next month if I cared. If you'd lose to a team whose shorts are different color on the front and back... (laughs) You, you should be embarrassed. It's just that you can't. You be now, we, now we ended the season losing to Seattle. Like, what's positive about that? There isn't There isn't anything. And based on what I saw in it, like, no one even cared. The team was not even like, they're like, okay, well. I, I was bummed that the stream was on the opposite side so you couldn't see Tad Boyle because I, 
I wanted to see the way he was coaching. He, I, I assume he was losing his mind. I, he must have been. Yeah. Just, I just can't imagine how you could finish a season losing to Seattle. Well, what's crazy is after the game, Tad Boyle said he thought the effort and energy was there from his players. So that means that you were out talented by Seattle. Yeah. No, that's not a thing. <laughs> that's not. I mean, honestly, if you go around the country of the, whatever team's last loss of the season, ours is the so worst. you probably have the worst last game of the season of anyone in the entire country. Like, not even Baylor feels worse about that. No, Georgia State would beat us by 100. <laughs> me? So, come on. That, like, you, they talked about going in, oh, you can be one of three teams, which I don't like. A lot of teams win their last regular season game of the year, but they always say, you know, you can be one of three teams to win their last game of the year. Well, they ended up having the worst last game of the year in the entire country. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's nothing positive about it. Yeah, the only thing I th- the only way this CBI tournament would have been positive is if they had made the championship round, which they didn't. So, yeah, I agree with you guys. At risk of beating a dead horse here, Eskia Booker obviously decides not to play in the CBI, and he's not there to support his team uh, for their first game at home. Does this tarnish his legacy at all? To some degree, for sure. You can say what you want about him as a player, and it doesn't change his opinion of me as a player, but there's no excuse whatsoever to not be there. If you don't want to play and you, you're hurt or whatever, that's fine. Like, I think he should have played, but if he doesn't want to, I'm not going to over get over emotional about that. But to not be there, what was he doing that was so important that he exactly. couldn't have been there? There isn't anything, I promise you that. So to me, I just don't, I don't like that. Like, if you don't love this program, no one else gave you a chance to play at this level. So you're not going to give them any respect for that whatsoever? If, if you if you've ever been on a team and cared about your teammates, yeah. there's nothing you want to do more in the world than be there, even if you're not going to play. Yeah, and what what his teammates said frustrated me too. If that was my teammate, I would have freaked out. I would have been pissed, and I would have told you. And they were just like, eh, it's well, his choice. I think they're, they're no. I think they were more. Like, Let's just move on. Versus, you know. I mean, you saw the disappointment Josh got. I think he was he he was honest, and he said, you know, it's pretty disappointing, and I wanted him there. Um, yeah, it. It did tarnish his legacy. I mean, I talked about this after the Gardner-Webb game. It's it's just a bummer because he was a player that um, me and you and I'm sure Tyler at times felt like they had to defend their whole career, and he was defensible, you know. He was a player who was giving his all out there, and he was doing what he was as a player, and as much as that was um, polarizing, he was defendable, and... Then he does this, you know, to finish his career, and it's just it's indefensible. There's nothing anyone can say that can defend that decision to not be there, and it's just it, you know, it leaves him on a note where the people who were hard on him his whole career come out on top, you know, and they have this fuel. They say, well, no matter what you said his whole career, he bailed on the team at the end. There's nothing you can say to that. Well, how revealing was that? The fact that he was not on the bench in terms of revealing <coughs> the the buff. Locker room issues that we had kind of uh, speculated about all season. I think it just confirmed what we already thought. To me, I mean, it, it was pretty clear this team, I'm not going to name names or because uh, I don't really know, but it was pretty clear they didn't get along the way that you would expect out of a team that spends all of their time together. Like my high school basketball team, we are still all best friends. Talk to each other every single week. Want to know what we're up to. Want to be a part of each other's lives. And this team, it seems pretty clear to me that there's not going to be a whole lot of communication back and forth when they get out of here. Yeah, I think it, it, it like like you said, it confirms a lot of suspicions that, I mean, we kind of already all knew were true. Um, 
I think, you know, Dom Collier's comments to me before the, the Gardner-Webb game, while he was very classy in his comments, he, it was kind of telling him, saying, oh, well, now I'm, I'm able to be aggressive. And it's just like the fact that he felt he wasn't able to be aggressive because the skier booger was out there um, is revealing. And I think, you know, what it comes down to is a skier wasn't going to be a leader. And it, just, it's not, it wasn't in his DNA, but he also wasn't going to be led. And I think that was the biggest issue. Well, Dustin Thomas, who is transferring out of the program, was on the bench. Ryan, you said he's still around campus wearing CU gear. He won't be wearing CU, CU gear next year. Buy or sell, Buffs fans are going to miss Dustin Thomas the next two seasons. Yeah, well, actually, he was wearing CU gear on Central Michigan's campus while he was visiting there. Okay, Completely wow. decked out head-to-toe in Buffs gear. So, like, uh, I don't think there was any lies when uh, Tad Boyle and Dustin Thomas both said there's no hard feelings. You know, that they got love for each other. Um, going back to your question, I think Buff fans will miss him, but I think it will be um, a bit misled. I think Dustin Thomas is going to go to a smaller program at, at a lower level, and he's going to be great. Um, he's going to be able to you know, defend without fouling and be able to stay in the game, and it's going to help him translate to the offensive end, and I really think he's going to have a great rest of his career. So when Buff fans see, what, what the heck, he's averaging you know, 14 points and six rebounds or something, they're going to miss him. But what it came down to uh, for Dustin Thomas is you are what you can defend. And he couldn't defend the three or the four, so he was nothing. You know, he's nothing at the Pac-12 level, which is unfortunate because I really like Dustin Thomas's game. So I'm excited to see him go to a place where he can be comfortable. Yeah, I, I feel the exact same way. It was really sad for me because I love watching him play, and I thought he could be a fantastic player. And offensively, he still has the chance to do so. But it did become clear over time that he just wasn't going to be able to defend at this level. And so I think if he had been here for his junior and his senior year, he would have, you know, had a couple really huge games, but he also would have had a lot of games where he was just frustrating and he had to go sit him on the bench. To me, So to me, I'm, I'm now that it's been a couple weeks, I'm really happy for him. I think he's going to go somewhere where he's extremely successful. I hope to see that team make the NCAA tournament. I'll be rooting for him really hard. So, I mean, no hard feelings for me. I totally understand and respect the decision. I think how he handled it was really classy. He still showed up to the games. That's awesome. I like to see that. You know, you can tell he still cares about the program. You know, he was on Twitter thanking everybody. That's the kind of stuff you want to see. And so for the same thing as Jeremy Adams and and um, a few of the other guys who have left over the years, Shannon Sharp, you know, mm-hmm. like, are you root for those guys? So, and, I, and it's funny to me because those two are – some of the strongest proponents on social media for Colorado still to this day, even over some of the players. So I, I love that, and I hope that's the same thing with Dustin. I hope you still find him rooting for the program. And he, he's going to have he's gonna have uh, plenty of landing spots. Oh, yeah. I was told that Central Michigan was telling him that he would be their number one op- option on offense. So there's a lot of faith in his ability. They're a good program. Yeah. So Yeah, obviously how, how well he does it, his next spot is, is going to – Depend how much Buffs fans are going to miss him, but also whether Keenan Guzanjic is is going to be as good, better, or worse than Dustin Thomas is going to play a big role in the, how people feel about <laughs> Dustin Thomas sure. leaving. Because if if Keenan Guzanjic shows up and he's better than Dustin Thomas was the last two years, they're they're going to forget about Dustin Thomas pretty quick in that mm-hmm. sense. But if he comes in and doesn't really contribute much, they're going to say, "Gosh, I really wish we would have had Dustin Thomas for a couple more years." How good does Thomas Akizili? I mentioned Keenan Guzanjic. Now, now obviously, uh, Thomas Akizili, another 2015 uh, commit that's going to sign with the Buffaloes in April. 
how good does he have to be in terms of a facilitator to fix that issue, that, that lack of a facilitator on this team? Um, pretty good. I mean, I think Don's going to be the same way. But I almost think that the problem with this team isn't having a facilitator as much as there's nobody else on the team that wants to be the guy. I mean, you can facilitate all you want, but if the dude's passing up wide-open threes on the other end of the pass, nothing is going to change. So, I mean, you have to find some guys on the wings. Josh Fortune will be the number one guy you talk about for sure. That's going to be willing to put the ball in the basket. You have to – there have to be guys that are more aggressive. I mean, obviously with the ski uh, you know, he's pounding the air out of the ball a lot, so I'm sure guys just kind of get tired of standing around the perimeter. So we'll see if that changes. But at the end of the day, this team needs to find some guys who want to score the ball and want to be aggressive and have confidence to take the ball to the rim, or a facilitator is not going to help much. You got there have to be other guys on the team that can score for a facilitator to be successful. Yeah, I mean, it's, you can't just facilitate to other guys who want to facilitate. It just turns out to be very passing the ball. You know, you I watch March Madness and it just every single team just has bucket getters. Like they're all just every, like it seems every team has three guys on the court who's you know looking for their shot mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, I can't remember what game I was watching yesterday, but like a guy just caught it in the corner and just shot it instantly. I was like, I probably count on one hand how many guys just caught catching shot balls this year. So um, I don't even know if you know. I think this. I know this is the next guy we're going to talk about, but I think um, when you're looking at a facilitator, the number, the guy you want to be that is Dom Collier. So I think he's more important in fixing the lack of a facilitator issue if we're talking about that issue, than uh, Thomas Akizili is. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Dominique <laughs> Collier. I think there's uh, maybe a few fans out there that go, well, Dominique just needs to eat, lift weights, and he'll be 200 pounds. No, Dominique <laughs> Collier is not going to be 200 pounds. It's not his frame. He could literally eat and lift all day, and it's it's going to be hard for him to gain weight. Could he get up to 178, 180, maybe? But he's still going to be a pretty frail kid next year. What, what type of maturation is a reasonable expectation for him. Uh, to me, as a guy who's been pretty hard on him all year, I thought he definitely played more, better down the stretch, certainly. But to me, he's got to find ways to create in the paint. Mm-hmm. So even when he scored this year in the paint, he was throwing up shots behind his head. He was struggling to finish over people, and he's not, at this level, he is not a plus athlete. I mean, he can get around that first guy, but he's not going over anybody at the rim. So he needs to be able to get that floater. has got to be mm-hmm. on yep. point. That's where he's got it. That's where his game's got to be because he can get to that, but he's not. He's never going to be a guy that's finishing over anyone. Yeah, that's you took the words out of my mouth of yeah. the the floater. I think you know that's the number one tool that can can really boost his game if if he can find a way to score in the paint without having to do you know three sixty reverse scoop layups. Um, that's going to be really, really effective for him. And once he starts hitting that, then he's going to pull, you know, big man off of Josh Scott, off of Wesley Gordon, yeah. and they're getting dunks. And he, we know that Dom has the vision to be able to make that pass. So for him, it's being able to develop um, a little more of a, an offensive edge to his game um, besides just, you know, shooting threes and um, drawing fouls. Yeah, he's just going to have to be smart about picking his spots and getting creative with ways to get open because he's not going to blow by anybody. And to me, working on that three-point shot will help him as well because mm-hmm. right now he's not you, – you don't have to guard him out there. He's not making enough yet. Josh got missed eight games during this past season <clears throat> uh, due to back injuries and was limited in even some of those other games he did play in. Uh, obviously, he, he seemed to be pretty darn healthy for the last three or four weeks of the season. On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned should CU fans be about Josh Scott's back going forward? 
I'll say three, four. I, I really think um, the um, improvement he showed over the last two weeks kind of knocked that out. You know, if he comes out those last two weeks and he's scoring, you know, eight points a game and, uh, you know, struggling and you still see him grimacing, then you go into the offseason being like, geez, I really hope he can get rid of this. To be able to come back and what he averaged like 23 and 10 or something over the last couple weeks, that was impressive. And, you know, that brought back that preseason hype that we had last year of talking about, you know, first-team all-conference and maybe even, you know, all-American type player. So there's a worry there that has to be there that maybe it flares back up unexpectedly. Um, but you don't have to worry about that same injury plaguing him throughout the entire offseason because it looked like he got back 100% from that. Yeah, I would agree and just kind of throw it out there a different way. I, I'm not a doctor and I don't know how the, the likelihood of that reoccurring. But if it does, it's a 10 because we saw what this team looks like without him healthy and it's we're not going to do anything. Um, with At the end of the season, I thought we were really quite a bit better. If we had a healthy Josh Scott this season, I think we pro- we don't, we're not going to make the tournament, I don't think. We, it just wasn't going to happen. But I think we probably do make the NIT, win two or three more games, and you're above 500, right? And you might slide into that last part of the NIT. I just think we it would have been a tough year, but it wouldn't have been where we are now. I mean, you saw how he played at the end of the season. He was fantastic. It's kind of what we were all expecting from him early. Um if he's healthy next year, I expect us to make big strides again. I mean, he's he's really important to this team. I, th- I think the next step for that, though, is is Wesley Gordon going to find a way to be able to play with them. And if not, I think you need to completely go away from that lineup at all. Yeah, and I agree. That's not, backup five. Exactly. If that's not going to be effective, if you can't find a way to make Josh Scott and Wesley Gordon effective on the court, then stop trying. Just, you know, go away from that rotation. It's... It didn't work this year, and so you need to figure out another way because Wesley Gordon was really good when Josh Scott was out. So, you know, maybe they just need to not be on the court with each other. I'm going to say a four in terms of how concerned CU fans would be, and it's more just because it's a back issue. You hear people that have back issues talk about how uh, once you have back issues, it's it's tough to go the rest of your life without having back issues. So um, I, I'm not trying to play a doctor here on our podcast, but uh, just because it is a back issue, that may, would make me a little bit more concerned than mm-hmm. uh, some other injuries. If you know, like a Xavier Johnson, we're not talking about how concerned we are about his ankles right now. Uh, before we uh, finish this up, a couple more topics. One, I want you guys to predict Josh Fortune's stat line in 2015-2016. We already talked about the fact that you guys think it's unrealistic for fans to think that he's going to replace Askia Booker's production. Well, what part of that can he make up in terms of Askia Booker's graduation and obviously uh, playing playing the two-guard role for, for CU next year? Uh, I think this might disappoint some people. I've been going back and forth between two numbers in the points category, so... I'll go with the more optimistic one I have. I'm going to say he's going to average 12 points a game, three rebounds, one assist. Um, I I was thinking 10, honestly. That was my lower prediction. Uh, but I'll go with the more optimistic one. I think I think he can score 12 points a game, um, and he's going to be, you know, the honestly the second option on offense after Josh Scott. I think he's. I, I have him at 13 points a game, probably like four and a half rebounds, something like that. He's yeah, one assist is good. He's not a passer, which is fine. I think he averaged two at Providence yeah. as a sophomore, two yeah. assists a game. Yeah, I mean one or you know, not, yeah, not enough. And plus, this offense. I was going to say we don't get assists too. anyway. So, uh, to me though, I think he's going to be one of those players that has a lot of huge games and a lot of quiet games. Shooters tend to have that, um, and I haven't been able to watch him in a while, so it'll be interesting to see. 
I can't imagine we're going to get worse defensively replacing him with Ski. I mean, he was a pretty good steals guy at Providence, and he's just bigger in general, and Ski was a mess at times on defense. So um, there I think we'll probably be in better shape, plus having more length is always good for a defense. That's always something that I like to see. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to be a first-team all-conference guy or anything like that, but with the he's, he's willing to shoot, so he's going to get a lot of touches in this offense just by default, more than anything else. So I think I think he'll. I think the points per game average will be pretty good. I mean, I think he's a better scorer than Carlin was on that year. We didn't have a lot of scores, and Carlin was like eleven and a half, twelve point guy. So I think he'll average a little more than that. I mean, Carlin was better at other things, obviously. But to me, we're in that similar. We don't have stud players offensively on the on the perimeter, just like that team didn't. So I, I think he'll get up to thirteen just by necessity. He's going to have to get the shots. Real quick thing on the Josh Fortune boat. Uh, this question would have been better had they not lost in the first round. Do you think he kind of looked back and wished he was still part of that Providence team that was a pretty good team this year? Uh, probably not to me, only because Chris Dunn is playing his position. is not his position, but he's the Score. guy on yeah. the team. So Josh would have been in the same role. But Dunn and LaDante Denton? Denton, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, they both couldn't score it in that that first round game, so maybe Josh Fortune is the, the yeah. hero in that game and gets some yeah, dirt. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I just it seemed like he wanted to get out of there, and it, I mean, yeah. Chris Dunn is gone. It so was Providence is not going to be that good. Obviously, there's a reason so. he left. It wasn't it wasn't because he thought Colorado was a better program than Providence. You know, he, he might have thought they were on par, but he wasn't he wasn't leaving Providence because he didn't think it was a good program. There was more yeah. there. Well, I agree with you guys. Uh, I, I was going to say 12 points a game. A, a big number for him is going to be his three-point uh, percentage uh, because he was a 35% three-point shooter at Providence as a sophomore. He needs to get that up like around 38. That's what a Skia Booker shot from three-point range was 38%. Um, so I think that's one of the figures that's going to be important with him uh, next season. Lastly, guys, how much pressure should Tad Boyle feel going into next season? Kind of a loaded question here. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Tad's going to put a lot of pressure on himself. So he's not going to feel some outside pressure. He's not going to feel pressure from Rick George. Um, the pressure that's going to be there is on himself. He was as disappointed as anyone about this last season. Um, I think he, he sees where he went wrong in a couple areas. He sees where he went wrong recruiting in a couple areas. So he knows that he's at fault for a lot of this, and so he's going to put a lot of pressure on himself. I don't think he's feeling outside pressure. Yeah, my answer was going to be exactly the same. There's no way he's going to have more outside pressure than the pressure he has on himself. I think people say this all the time. You don't really know who you are until you fail. Tad came into a pretty good situation at CU. He's had a pretty good team the entire time he's been here. Um, this is the biggest struggle he's had. We'll see how he responds. I will say this. Rick George has done a lot of awesome things. If Tad Boyle is even close to being on the hot seat next year, I'll have some change thoughts about him because that's it's just insane. Yeah. He's the best thing that's ever happened to this program. There's no, I just don't – Colorado doesn't have any history of being a successful basketball program. Tad Boyle is that history minus a year or two. So to me – Two seasons that have been better or on par with the previous history of the program is going to get you fired now. No, that's insane to me. Yeah. Adam? I, I think uh, he's, he's under pressure in terms of the fan base that has unrealistic expectations, but 
again, that's not real pressure, like you said. That's not Rick George is the one that's going to decide whether there's real yeah. pressure on Ted Boyle, and I don't think he's close to to getting to that point. But what's interesting here is is after they lost to Pittsburgh, there were certain expectations for this program. Well, they need to take the next step. They need to get to the second weekend of the tournament. Now, all of a sudden, though, that, that's kind of changed, and it's like <coughs> they're kind of reverting back in a sense in terms of expectations. And, Just and, get there now. Yeah, which, which is kind of unfortunate because they had built up this program to a certain point, and now they kind of have to rebuild that. Yeah. Tyler, real quick before we wrap this up, you're usually following the transfer market pretty well. Do you see any there, transfers out there that you think could help There's them guys out there, but unfortunately – I will say this. We got Josh Fortune, which is not a guy in a region that I would have expected us to get either. So I know they're going to be out there. There are definitely, there's a ton of guards. There's a ton of guards. I mean, that guard from Virginia Tech, I want to say his name is Aaron Smith or Eric Smith? Er, yeah, some Smith. I, I can't Adam remember. Smith. Adam Smith, thank you. Yeah, he can score. Good shooter. Um, that would be a great fit, but he's going to have a lot of teams after him. So I, I don't think we're going to get one of the first five or six guys that everybody's coveting right now. I just don't think we are. But there are a lot of shooters on the market, so if we have to tell somebody to hit the road, yeah, I, I think we should. Personally, I mean, there's a couple guys in the end that aren't going to do things for us, and Tad is at while he, to me doesn't have pressure. He is at the point that he has to improve <coughs> the roster if he can. That's where I think we're at right now. Well, that's a wrap on our That's a Wrap show here. Uh, again, Buff Stampede Radio is sponsored by Velocity Real Estate and Investments. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Give CU alum Chris Schuler a chance to win your business. He serves Denver, Boulder, Summit Counties, and Northern Colorado. Go to VelocityREI.com. And if you listen to this podcast via iTunes, it would really help us out a lot if you could uh, rate our show, whether you like it or don't like it. Give us a rating. And later this week, we're going to have a mailbag show. We threw it out to fans on Twitter and the Stampede Elite message board for questions that we're going to answer. It's just going to be a straight mailbag show, so make sure you listen to that. Thanks for tuning in to this show. I want you by my side So that I'll never feel alone again They've always been so kind But now they've brought you away your mind your heart is too strong anyway we need to fetch back the time they have stolen from us no